This morning, as we prepare to encounter God's word, let us begin with prayer. O gracious God, as we open this ancient text, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, let it speak to our heart and our soul this day. In your name, amen. Our Old Testament scripture lesson is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65. The prophet is saying, there's going to be a transformation and all will be at peace. Animals, humans, this world will be at peace because God is doing this. Hear now the words of scripture. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create a new Jerusalem as joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an older person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And on this Easter morning, we go to the Gospel of St. John, to the story of resurrection, the story of the resurrection of Jesus and the empty tomb, which indicates a resurrection, not mere immortality. Here are the words of Scripture. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went together toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw 
and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their home. But Mary stood outside weeping at the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. On Friday mornings, I go to the YMCA to swim. And there's the usual group of women that I've kind of gotten to know. And they know that I'm one of the pastors here at Westminster. And one of the women this last Friday said to me, well, this must be a pretty easy week for you. You don't have to prepare a sermon on Sunday. And, you know, I thought this good Lutheran woman was just joking. But she went on to say, well, you know, it's the same thing every Easter. I don't think anyone prepares for that one. Well, that, yeah, you're laughing, Jimmy. <laughs> it's been such an easy week. It did cause me to think, is there, is there anything new? Why are we gathering here just to hear the same old story? I think we're here not to argue for the resurrection, but to underline it once again, because it's true, because he lives. The power of the resurrection is ours, and we need to hear that year after year. And so what is it about this familiar story that may be anew to us today? Let us pray. Lord, on this day of all days, help us with our unbelief and allow us to find the risen Christ waiting for us right here. Amen. Well, John begins the story of Easter with the words, it was early in the morning, the first day of the week, and while it was still dark. You know, I think for most of us, that's how our relationship with Jesus Christ begins. In darkness, when things are a bit bleak, it was for me. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She had seen Jesus died th three days earlier, 
and now she's going to the tomb. In his death, her hopes, her, her dreams, her future died with him. You know, I'm thinking of our week here. How many have had their hopes dashed this week? A woman stopped by and said she was served papers and it means the marriage is over. The hope is over. Another woman said she was called into her supervisor's office and she was let go. She cleaned out her desk and with tears was wondering what she was going to tell her children. Another couple were stopped by and they mentioned that they got a call from their son who lives in the state and he said, um, sorry, I, sorry, we can't make it to Easter after all. But the grandkids say hello, and she said that she told him it was okay, but after the phone call, she could not look at her husband for some time because the sadness was deep. Hope, hope that is dashed. You know, most of us are not ready to encounter and really know Easter until we have spent some time in darkness where hope does not seem possible. Easter, resurrection, may be the last thing we're expecting, and that's what scares us most. See, this day is not about bunnies and springtime and cute dresses on little girls. It is about more hope than we can handle, and that's what we need this morning. I can imagine Mary as she was making her way in the darkness to the tomb and thinking about those days in Galilee, the days when it seemed so far away. But Jesus was popular then. All of the hopes in her heart, and she could not imagine that he would be crucified as a traitor to Rome, as a blasphemer to the Jews. And she arrives at the tomb, and she's startled or horrified that it's empty. And she runs to tell Peter and the disciples they've taken him out of the tomb, and we don't know where he is. You know, in John's Gospel, there's a lot of running back and forth. And who's out running whom and back, and here they go again. But you know, it's sort of like those of us as disciples of Jesus. We do a lot of running when we have lost our center, when we have lost Jesus. We sort of run around. Eventually, all of this running gets too much for Mary, and she breaks down in tears at the entrance of the tomb. And she sees a couple that she does not know. They're angels, but at the foot and at the head of where Jesus was supposed to be. And she's not at all impressed. But she tells them they have taken the Lord. And then there is this man that she's assuming is the gardener, and he's asking her why is she weeping, and all she wants is the body of Jesus back. Finally, the gardener, who is the risen Savior, calls her by name, Mary. And she looks at him stunned and says, Rabboni, which 
is interpreted teacher. I wonder if that was her favorite name for her friend because he taught her so much. Can you imagine the indescribable joy that she lunges to embrace him? But to her dismay and ours, the risen Christ says, do not, do not hold on to me. Now, this is not my favorite part of the Easter story. If I were going to write this drama, is what I would do is have this long, tearful hug followed by Jesus saying, hey, go find all the guys. Bring them together. I'm back. We're going to Galilee. But Jesus says, don't, don't cling to me. For each of us following Jesus is a never-ending process of losing him one moment, thinking we have him figured out to discover anew that he is in a more unmanageable form than we could ever think of. Our expectations of Jesus is futile because all we can think of is that he needs to be back in the tomb. That's where we left him. But you know, Jesus won't stay there. We like things the way they were yesterday. What we long for, what we miss, what we beg God to give back to us is honestly dead gone. We cannot cling to the hope that Jesus will take everything and make it the way it was yesterday. Because resurrection, that event changed everything for every one of us. And the only way out of darkness is to move ahead. And the only person who can lead the way, really lead the way, is the Savior. And until we discover the vision of the Savior, the vision that Jesus gives us out of our disappointment, we will never understand resurrection and Easter. We are Easter people. For Westminster, we must understand this is Easter morn, not Good Friday, not the darkness, the pain, where there have been lots of change, and for some it has felt like a crucifixion. Resurrection tells us that for every crucifixion, there is a resurrection. As the prophet Isaiah says, God is creating a new day, and the former things will not be remembered. I think this congregation today is discovering anew what God has in store for all of us, and that is so exciting to be here. See, this is a place where families are finding a home to come and to worship and to bring their children. I wish all of you could see the Wednesday night program, Parents' Night Out, how it's blossomed this year. It's a program that allows us to get to know and to teach your children. And it allows the parents to head off on a date night, to spend time together, to develop healthier relationships, to promote healthy families. Just this week, I get a call from a neighbor, and he said, you know, I see on your sign this Parents' Night Out. So I pulled it up on your website, and it, 
and we're not members of the church, but we live in the neighborhood. My wife and I need a date night really bad, and we have two children. And I said, please, please come. And so they did. And I pray you are here this morning with us in worship. Or I think of the volunteers. They're coming out of the woodwork to fill in the gaps where the staff is lacking hours to complete tasks. You should see the number on cleanup day, the number of volunteers covering the front desk, or any number of tasks from bulletins to mailings. Just think of the number of volunteer hours it took for the music department alone this week. How wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. We are a family of faith, and we're working and we are worshiping together because God is doing a new thing. And yes, we're changing, and we're growing. Perhaps you thought when you came to this church you needed a bit of religion, so you showed up and they told you to confess your sins and to promise to walk with God to your life's end, and so you cleaned up. You did that. But what I see today is a congregation that didn't just clean up, a congregation that's growing up that's waking up, that's showing up for others. That is where we are today. And I hope every one of you will have an opportunity to go along with us to experience what God is doing in this place. You know, the question that Easter asks of us is not, do you believe in the doctrine of the resurrection? Frankly, I don't think that's particularly hard. The gospel is, is not asking, do you believe? But I think the gospel is asking, have you encountered the living Christ? Have you found the peace of Jesus Christ in this place? You know, we get the feeling that Mary was never the same after Easter morning and neither is anyone else who learns that what really matters is not that we have a hold on to God, but that we are confident that God has a hold on to us. Seeing that, we're ready for anything. After resurrection, things did not return to normal, and that's the good news. After an encounter with Christ, there is no normal, and that's what makes Easter extraordinary year after year. It's not the same sermon because it's new every morning. Resurrection is not getting back to where you once were. It's about transforming by the hand of God. And yes, it costs. It costs you everything. It involves being willing to die to what we were just as that Easter lily in the ground, before we're transformed what God has for us anew. The only thing we cannot do is hold on to him. He's, he's asked us, please do not do that, because he knows we would rather hold on to him exactly where we were than let, us, let him take us where he is going.
better we should let him hold on to us and take us to that new place with God. He's not behind us. He is ahead of us every step of the way. Amen.